Welcome to We Built This Life. I'm your host, Jennifer Walker, and this is the podcast that mainly tells stories about entrepreneurs and small business owners and how they built their working lives from the ground up. This is episode 27, which focuses on Kate Christian, the owner of Bliss Woodworks in Baltimore, which offers custom woodwork projects and furniture. Thank you so much for listening today. Hi there. Welcome to episode 27. I'm Jennifer Walker. I'm so happy you are listening today. I am very excited for this episode with Kate Christian. She's the owner of Bliss Woodworks, which is a small business that focuses on custom woodwork projects and furniture. So items like tables, bookcases, and vanities. And then Kate also teaches one-on-one classes. So if you're new to this podcast, small business owners who are guests on this show always talk about challenges, successes, what they wish they knew when they started their business, their advice for other small business owners. And Kate will talk about all of these things. But what I also think is interesting about Kate's story is that she worked in a few other industries before discovering woodworking. And her story seems to me to be a case of someone just kind of stumbling on something that they love, maybe even unexpectedly. So Kate will talk more about that and how she came to find woodworking and then how she built her business, Bliss Woodworks, from the ground up from there. So before we get into Kate's episode, I just kind of wanted to go back a little bit. I wanted to talk about the audience for this podcast because I don't think I've done a very good job of defining that. So for any episodes that I have with small business owners, if you're new here or you're finding this podcast for the first time, most of the content I have on here is about small business owners. I do do solo episodes sometimes, but I see the content that I have on here with guests as being for two audiences. The first audience is kind of regular people, consumers, maybe not entrepreneurs themselves, who like supporting small businesses and who like getting to know the people behind those small businesses, as well as people who kind of just like to hear career stories in general. I talked way, way, way back in the very first episode about how one of my inspirations for this podcast was the book, What Should I Do With My Life by Poe Bronson which basically tells the stories of people who are searching for careers that are a good fit for them. And I really loved this book at a certain point in my life when I was just trying to hear positive stories about people who had found careers that they love or that were meaningful to them. And I was hoping to sort of tell those kinds of stories on this show. I'd say We Built This Life, the podcast has kind of morphed into a focus on small business owners. When I started, I thought I would just be talking to people who worked independently in some way, maybe more freelancers and consultants, but I tend to talk to small business owners, but we are still telling career stories here just with that small business spin. So if you are interested in career stories or if you'd like to hear the stories behind small businesses, like get to know the people who are behind the business, then I think the interview episodes on this podcast would be a good fit for you. And then the second audience for the show, I think, are other small business owners. And I'm mentioning this on Kate's episode because she sent me a really nice email about how she had listened to some of the episodes on here and how she learned a lot from other people's stories as a small business owner. And it was so kind that she sent that message. I I say it all the time. Those types of messages are what keeps us podcasters going. But I do think every guest on here and, and sharing their stories is also offering a perspective that could be valuable to other small business owners. So I see this podcast as being for them as well. So 
I thank you for being here today and let's get into Kate Christian's story. So as I mentioned in the introduction, Kate Christian did not have any involvement with woodworking when she was young. She was focused then on other things. I discovered that much later. I didn't really have the opportunity to do much when it came to woodworking. You know, I was interested in in other things, in art and sports, stuff like that. I played lots of sports. I played soccer, softball, basketball, ice hockey, skiing, (laughs) tennis. I really liked skiing. I liked racing. I grew up in Massachusetts, and when I was in high school, uh, I was able to do that most of the winter, where I like spent all day skiing, and like my high school was cool enough to let me go and do that for those months. Okay, great. So, your did your high school have a skiing team, or you were skiing with you know another team at the time? Yeah, the my high school did have a ski team, and I did compete with them. But I did most of my training up in New Hampshire at Waterville Valley, and they had like a small school there. It was basically like a tutoring program. So yeah, I did both of those. Sounds like you were at a competitive level. Is that how you would see it? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't like very good at that competitive level, but I did have like international points and things. So I did get to do like a bunch of competitive things. And through that, I got to go to... New Zealand and Austria and up into Canada to do some races while I was still in high school. And then after high school, did you kind of shift into other things? Yeah. So I thought that I would race in college. And when I got to college, I was on that path and started rowing crew in the lead up to the season and broke my leg. So I couldn't ski. And so that basically like ended my, my racing career your leg wouldn't have healed for you to try again? It took a really long time to heal. I had a stress fracture and I kept running on it and I just like aggravated it until it was like a proper break. So I missed the first like freshman year of skiing and after that I just kind of moved on to other things. It was hard but you know it just led me down different paths. So what did you study in college? And then where did you go from there? I saw on your website that you've had kind of an interesting background career-wise, and you've tried a lot of different things, and I'd love to hear more about that. In college, I double majored in history and film studies. Was really into both those things, thought that, you know, I wanted to make films. Was really interested in documentary films and how that kind of combined this kind of love for history and filmmaking. And did some short films and things. So I would like help people out who had like short narrative films, just fictional stories set in different places. I did like a promotional video for the Coast Guard. And I found that the part that I really enjoyed was editing more than actually the directing portion, which is what I thought originally I was interested in. But I don't know. When I when I graduated from college, I wasn't sure like where to go next. And I just kind of found this like listing for a job that involved some travel. It turned out to be like making workflows for banks. You sit with people from different parts of an organization and they just tell you step-by-step how they do their job. And then you turn that into like a line-by-line document that can be transferred to someone else. So I went and did that, got to see like a bunch of different corporate headquarters. It was not exciting travel, but you know, did that for a little while. 
and met some people there. And through those people that I met, like a bunch of other things snowballed. But it's a little bit confusing because I had also gotten my captain's license to drive boats professionally while I was in college. And so the story there is that I grew up on the water around boats. And when I was in college, I was looking for a a summertime job. My dad was like, you know, he had his, his captain's license and he was like, hey, you should get your license because the hardest part is to get sea time, which is like just hours on a boat. And you have that. It can start from when you're 16. So I studied for the test on my own, went and took it and passed it. And then when I was, I think, a junior in college, I started working on the water taxi in Boston and you had to do everything. So there's like all of the the driving portions and tying up the boat on your own, maintaining it, doing all the fueling and maintenance there, and also like all of the customer facing portion too. So you're selling tickets and doing that part of it as well. So I, I really got familiar on those boats and worked my way up to doing other things, increased my license. And yeah, so off and on, I'd been doing that as like a, a warm weather job because of course it gets cold in Boston and it's not so nice to be on boats. So yeah, so I've been doing that as a summer job. So after like doing that job, making workflows for banks, I was working on a boat and I was doing sightseeing trips and a friend of a friend worked nearby and he would come and take trips on the boat with me and we would just chat. And he had started a business that was making at-home STD tests. And so we had talked about issues that he was having, and it was a nice time. And at the end of the season, he was like, hey, what do you do when it gets cold? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm looking for the next thing to do. And he was like, why don't you come work with me? So that's what I did, kind of just doing odd jobs at first. Eventually, I ended up being the chief operating officer of that business. How old were you at that point? And what did you do in that role? Let's see. I think I was maybe 24 or so when that happened. And my roles were like a a bunch of different things. We had an in-house R&D lab, and I was in charge of that, kind of overseeing the accounting side of things, grant writing. It was a really small team, so it was also all hands on deck for just about all the different aspects of the business. And I was involved in kind of creating new technology there as well. How long did you stay there? Let's say it was eight years, maybe. And then what happened after that? How did you ultimately end up in Baltimore? Yeah, so basically like funding for that business kind of dried up and I was looking for new things to do. And also I had fallen in love. And so I was in a long-term relationship with my now wife and she was living in Maryland, not in Baltimore, but in Silver Spring. And I was living in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And she came up there for work a bunch. So we were able to see each other. And we were doing this long-term, like long-distance relationship and decided to move somewhere new for both of us. And we we tried out a couple different cities and we both really liked Baltimore. So we ended up moving here. How did you all meet? You met in Massachusetts when she was on work trips? Yeah, through a a mutual friend. It was a fix-up. I didn't know it was a fix-up at the time. but (laughs) (laughs) Takes the pressure off, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, so you came to Baltimore. What uh, what year was that? And what did you do when you got here? Yeah, so we moved here in 2014, basically like New Year's Eve of 2013. And when we moved to Baltimore, we like made a pact with each other. First of all, we were going to pretend we loved it for a year, no matter what. 
just like say yes to everything, go all in. Even if there were things we didn't like, we were just going to be super positive on it. And if after a year we didn't like it, we were going to, you know, figure out something else, move or whatever. And as part of this plan, we also agreed that both of us would go into the world and find an aspirational friend. So someone who we thought was super cool, who we wanted to be friends with. And Beth, my wife, her aspirational friend was this guy, John, from her gym. And she went and looked him up. And it turned out that he and his wife had founded the Station North Tool Library. And for those who are not familiar with the tool library, it is a lending library, but for tools rather than books. And the one in Baltimore also has a maker space attached to it. So it's got a full wood shop. It's got space for metalwork. It has like a crafting studio. Anyway, so she saw this and was like, whoa, that's super cool. And she got me a gift certificate to the tool library. So I went and I took this cutting board class. And I just immediately loved it. I loved everything about it and was just like, I want to do woodworking. And so I just basically full-time volunteered there. and was like, anything that happens in the shop, I want to do it. You know, and they were very kind to let me hang around and <laughs> like not knowing anything, learn from them. So I took all the classes that they offered, started making more and more cutting boards and other things. Pretty soon people started asking me to make some things for them. And the tool library was also open during the day a lot. So there was the ability to use some of their tools. And so I was in there during the day and they started an in-house business called the Surface Project, which was making wooden surfaces. So countertops, tabletops, things like that. And it was a workforce development program too. So teaching young people from Baltimore how to do woodworking and also kind of a bit of the business side. How do you price things? You know, what is the process of the interaction with clients and all of that? So that was going on and it started growing and they needed some more help. And I happened to be there and they offered me a job as the production manager for that project. So through that, I got a lot of experience doing production work. I did that for a while. It was pretty successful, but the job uh, training portion was always going to be small scale. So it turned out, you know, maybe eight to 10 people a year could come through the program, but it wasn't ever going to be much bigger than that. And so grant funding for that wasn't really available. And they decided to end that project. And they offered to have me take over the business. But I figured it was a bit disingenuous to, to keep the name if it wasn't possible to do the job development portion. So I figured I would just start my own business. And that's what I did. So I love how you and Beth came to Baltimore and were just positive about everything for a year. That's such a good mindset to have. I wanted to go back and ask about when you took that cutting board class. What is the process like of making a cutting board? And what did you find that you liked best about it? Sure. So in the class, you're starting with rough sawn lumber, which when it's rough sawn, it's come from the mill. It is kind of fuzzy and dull looking. And it's not quite ready to build with. It's not truly straight or flat. So you're running it through a series of machines to make it ready to build with. And that's the same for anything you might want to make. So there's that part of the process. And then you're gluing the, the pieces of wood together. It's glue edge lamination. Basically gluing boards edge to edge to, edge to each other. And that's also a process that you use for many other things. Any kind of panel you'd want to make. Making a butcher block countertop, a side of a cabinet anything you might want to make. So it really like transfers to a lot of other things. 
that's one of the cool things about cutting boards is it's it is just like a small version of a lot of the other things that you would do but what i i really liked about it is just the transformation of the wood you know you start with something really rough looking and each step of the way you know you're like revealing the beauty of the wood and still to this day putting oil on a finished cutting board or really finish on anything like all of a sudden the wood comes alive there's this depth of color and grain and it's just beautiful I just love wood as a material wow I bet that's really satisfying putting the oil on at the end and seeing all your work and how it has been transformed like you said so you decided you were going to start your business. How did you go from the idea to actually getting your business off the ground? Well, it was kind of slow at first. It started as just people asking for small things. So, you know, they'd see a cutting board that I'd made and say, oh, can you make a tray? Sure, that's similar. And then I had somebody say, hey, like I need a dining table. I want it to be nine feet long and have leaves and inlay and all that. And I'd never made a table before. But I just said yes. Like, yeah, I can figure that out. And I think that really was a turning point. I think just saying yes to bigger projects and then figuring it out was really confidence building and kind of got it in my mind that maybe there is a demand for things that I'm making. And so, you know, I started a little bit while I was still working at the Surface Project doing my own thing. So that was sort of the origin of my solo business was doing these side projects the leap came when, you know, that ended, right? And just like deciding to go for it. But really like none of it would have been possible without having that space and the, the generosity of the people there with their knowledge and with their space and their tools. Because, you know, when I started, I didn't have any of my own tools. So I was working out of that space whenever there wasn't classes happening in there. And so that meant that I didn't have any of the overhead to do that. And then I slowly kind of made leaps one after the other. So I got a small studio space, but it was like 200 square feet. And that just meant that I could move my projects into that space when I wasn't able to work in the shop and I could sand in there or I could do other things. And now I'm in like a 1200 foot space with my own tools, which was like the real big leap. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like your business, would you say it grew pretty organically, word of mouth, people seeing your work and having ideas and coming to you with projects that they wanted you to make and it kind of just built from there? Yeah, it's been basically all word of mouth, even even to today. So can you talk a little bit about, I mean, you've been talking a little bit about the types of projects that you work on. Can you also maybe elaborate on that and talk about the classes you offer as well? Sure. So I do teach at the Station North Tool Library. I teach a, the cutting board class now that I, you know, is the origin story for me. And I also teach a joinery class. And then in my own space, I do one-on-one -on -one classes. So anything that people want to work on, like maybe there's a bigger project than the sort of things they've been doing, but they don't have either the knowledge or the tools to take it on, can do whatever it is people want to do. So been all kinds of things, cabinet, like a headboard, gifts for people, repairing something. It's been a lot of different projects that people have come in with. And I also offer a class making outdoor kind of modern Adirondack chairs. So you make two chairs in a day. Wow. I would not have realized that you could make chairs so quickly. Yeah. It's a pretty simple, some simple techniques. And I think it's really satisfying to have a pair of chairs that you can sit in that are comfortable that you made. 
And so it's a really cool project, even if you've never done anything before, that the methods are not too overwhelming. So Kate is going to start talking about successes and challenges in a moment. But before we move into that, I wanted to share something that Kate emailed to me after our conversation about what she wishes she knew when she started her business. And this ties into challenges too as a small business owner. So I think it would be valuable for other people to hear. She wrote, I wish I knew how much my self-worth would be tied up in it, meaning her business. It's one thing to intellectually know there is a difference between your work and yourself, but emotionally, it's difficult to separate when the business is just you. Its success and failure is your success and failure. It even affects what you're charging for your labor, how much you value your time, and assess your level of skill. I didn't anticipate the psychological challenge of being the company. Wow. So that, of course, is a big, heavy challenge and a perspective I think is important because I imagine a lot of small business owners, no matter what your product or service or focus is, feel this way. So thank you to Kate for letting me share this additional perspective. Now she is going to talk about a few other challenges she has experienced as the owner of Bliss Woodworks. I think most of what I've taken on in terms of projects have been custom. And what I didn't totally anticipate was that I would learn a lot from each custom project, but that it's hard to make money because I don't know how to price something that I've never done before. So, you know, I had the experience of making similar things over and over again and how to price those, but it's, it's a challenge when it's like, I can anticipate what the material cost will be, but the time involved is much more difficult to anticipate. So I've tried a couple of things to deal with that. One that I'm currently working on is that I've been working on a line of furniture and sort of my goal is to move into a semi-custom set of offerings so that people are choosing more from a set of styles and a set of existing furniture pieces that can be customized. So it can be different sizes, different colors, different woods, things like that. But from my end, it would be a lot more like I know it goes into each piece. So that's something I've been working on. And I've also kind of recently added in this kind of educational piece to my offerings to kind of augment the custom work as well. Knowing what goes into setting up a class and the requirements there, the materials and all of that. Kind of just like having a different set of offerings to, I don't know, hopefully have like a more steady income than comes from totally custom work. Okay, that makes sense, as does having like a menu of choices. That sounds like it would take some of the pressure off for you while still offering customization for customers. Yeah, and I'll still do custom work, you know, just I don't want it to be 100% of the business. Right, right, a little bit more split. I didn't ask this about your studio. You said you're in a 1,200 square foot studio space now. When did you know it was the time to make the leap to that space? And can you describe a little bit of what your space looks like? What's in there? How things are laid out? So I knew it was time mostly because I got a big order for a big set of like cabinets and wardrobes and, and things like that. And it literally would not fit in my studio space. So I, I knew that I needed... I needed something bigger and better just to be able to do the work that I was giving. And also I had been using that shared space at the tool library for quite a long time. And it, it felt like a good, good time to move on to something else. But mostly it was like the need for that physical space. So it's a warehouse space and it's got a lovely 
skylight. I have a joiner, a planer, table saw, bandsaw, a bunch of smaller hand tools, mostly power tools, but lots of woodworking tools. Yeah, all the things. What about your accomplishments that you're most proud of? I suppose like moving into that larger space felt like a real accomplishment to me. You know, being able to move into that space and buy those tools, it really made it feel like a legit business. It was a big step and a big leap in terms of overhead, which was scary, but also really uh, like it's a legit thing. Like I'm proud that it exists, you know, that the, that the business exists and it's self-sustaining. It feels like a real accomplishment. How long did it take you to feel that you were successful and how do you define success? Because I know that can be really different for everybody. Even like delivering my first table felt like a success. Like being able to actually build a piece of furniture and deliver it to someone felt like a real success. Every time I deliver a piece of furniture, it's, it's my favorite part of the process. Sometimes people ask like, oh, are you sad to see them go and like leave the shop? But it's my favorite part. I love it when they go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think like delivering on an idea feels like a success. Having my own shop space feels like a success. It's always moving goalposts too. Yeah, moving forward. I didn't even think about delivery. Like I imagine, you know, you're working on some pretty big pieces and to, to deliver everything must take a good amount of time packing it up and everything as well. Yeah. You know, most of my business is, is pretty local, so I'm not creating items and having to ship them that way. Most of the time I'm hand delivering, which is also cool to see a piece in its final resting place, you know? <laughs> yeah. See reactions to it and everything. I imagine that is pretty cool. You mentioned moving the goalposts forward. Do you have a vision or goals for the future, things that you'd like to see happen with your business? Yeah. You know, I'm hoping to be able to offer things to a wider audience, to be able to ship items, which can be a challenge with large pieces of furniture. You know, I want to start offering smaller pieces online, and I've got some promotion of, of that furniture line that I'm looking to do and see if there's any interest there. And yeah, I'd like to hopefully add some people onto my team at some point. I feel like that would be a, a big step. Yeah, that seems like a big step. I always wonder how people know that it's the right time because then you're taking on the, you know, you have to pay somebody, you're taking on that expense and it does seem like a leap. Is there anything you wish you knew when you started your business? You know, I like, I wish I knew just how hard the custom side would be coming from doing production work. I had a good sense of what it took to do like a lot of projects and how to price them. But having to figure out how to price custom has been a, a challenge and a learning experience. So I wish I knew how to do that. But in terms of the other things, I don't know. I, I feel like I had a pretty good sense of what it was going to involve. Well, I had on my question list, how important has collaboration been to your business? I guess, would you say that you've been kind of collaborating with the Station North tool library since the beginning, right? That's kind of how you got your start. So I guess it's been pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's been critical without the generosity of the people there. It wouldn't be possible really with the, the maker community of, of Baltimore in general. So many people have been so generous with their time and their knowledge. And there's some great things in Baltimore, like the Made in Baltimore program, which is a, an organization that promotes local makers and manufacturers, 
connects them to resources. They have pop-up shops. They have educational programs. They have a directory where you can find people that are all local businesses, a job board if you're looking to hire. And that's free if anyone is in Baltimore, is a maker, manufacturer, check it out, free to join. I love the Made in Baltimore group. I always go on to look at their directory to see what businesses are here locally that I, that I didn't know about. It seems like a really great resource, not only for businesses, but for just people like me who want to support small businesses in the area. Yeah, absolutely. And they have an online store too, so you can buy local goods through Made in Baltimore also. Oh, I didn't realize that. Very cool. So any advice for other entrepreneurs or business owners? Yeah, I think, you know, if, if you're thinking about doing it, you should do it. There's no perfect time. There will always be something that seems not quite right, but you just got to do it. There's no perfect opportunity, but as if you see it, if you see an opportunity, if you see something that pushes you in the right direction, just say yes. That's been something that has really paid off for me is even if something feels like a stretch to say yes, you can do it. That was your mentality when you first came to Baltimore, right? Just say yes to yeah, whatever, just say yes. <laughs> whatever opportunity there was. Yeah, I like that. I read a book about that once, about saying yes to like all, all the opportunities that are presented to you and where that can take you. Seems like a really good mindset to have. Yeah, you know, I've been on a crazy journey to get where I am. And a lot of that was just saying yes to things that were interesting. You never know where, where you'll end up. I think that is the perfect ending to Kate's story. I really want to thank Kate Christian for her time and for being a guest on the show. What is sticking out to me from this episode is all summed up in Kate's last few sentences, this idea of saying yes to opportunities that you're drawn to. And I love that she took this woodworking class when she was a little bit older, you know, old enough to have already had a couple of careers or jobs, including the chief operating officer role that she had. So a high position with that company that made at-home STD tests. And she went to this class, she made this cutting board, and then she fell in love with the process of creating and working with wood. And it took her career in a completely different direction. So this is most likely the last episode of 2022 for the We Built This Life podcast. And the lesson behind Kate's story, I think, is the perfect story for an end of the year episode because of this takeaway that comes with it, which is to be open to new opportunities, follow them if they seem interesting, see where they go because you never know what direction they might take you in. Thank you to you for listening to the We Built This Life podcast in 2022. I am so happy that you chose to spend some time with the show. I wish you happy holidays and a wonderful new year, and I'll see you next year. Thank you for listening today to We Built This Life. If you enjoyed the show or if you have constructive feedback, I would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also come say hi on Instagram. I'm at We Built This Life. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch. I would love to hear from you. Have an amazing day and I'll see you soon.